Taking your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 13. Our reading this morning brings us to the end of this chapter, verse 44 through 52. Let us pray. Our most gracious God, we come before you again making petitions for such are we needy sons and daughters of the Most High. But coming again, Lord, because you are rich, you are generous, you are good, you are faithful to all that you have promised to give us. And you have promised to give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, wills to obey. So we seek, Lord, those very things. We pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the constancy of angels. Grant, O Lord, that we would recognize the voice of the Master in the reading and preaching of your word. Grant that we would come out ever more so, Lord, from the world and cling to the Lord Jesus Christ and be his people. And Lord, we pray that we would shine indeed in his radiance, in his grace, in his truth, and his righteousness. Help us then to hear. Help our boys and our girls to hear. Grant us all, Father, the help we need. Otherwise, we are helpless to the uttermost. Help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, by your Holy Spirit, amen. Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. An old Greek fable has been passed down to us under the title, Dog in the Manger. Maybe you're familiar with it. It is a very simple story. After a long, hot day plowing the fields, an ox returns to the barn to eat hay that has been piled high in the manger, which is a feeding trough made out of wood. But resting there atop the hay 
is an angry dog. And the ox comes to eat, the dog growls, the dog barks, and the dog does not budge an inch. He refuses to let the ox feed on the hay, even though dogs do not eat hay themselves. Dog in the manger becomes a phrase over the last 2,000 plus years to describe a person who selfishly withholds from others a thing he finds useless to himself. This thing is so valuable to others, but the selfish man refuses to give it, but not because he will use it. He won't. He refuses to give it because he is evil. He wants to have something others do not have. The thing itself means nothing to him. But others not having the thing means everything to him. This is what many of the Jews wanted to do with the gospel of our salvation in Jesus Christ. They had no interest in it, but they didn't want the Gentiles to enjoy it either. Speaking of this evil jealousy in his day, our Lord Jesus said, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Matthew 23, 13. This same evil is at work among the Jews in Antioch, Pisidia. And we find that in our text today. What seemed to be going so well one Sabbath day quickly turns sour on the very next Sabbath day. But the good news is that evil schemes from evil men never can defeat the good plans of God. As Luke reports in verse 48 of our text about the people in Antioch, Pisidia, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Not one who was predestined by God Not one who was elected by God, not one who was appointed by God, failed to obtain eternal life through saving faith in Jesus Christ, even though evil men were trying to prevent it. The Jews wanted to stop a harvest, but the Lord of the harvest cannot be stopped. Now take a moment with me to remember what happened that brings us up to verse 44. Paul and Barnabas have been in this city for just over a week. On the previous Sabbath day, Paul had preached this beautiful, bold, Christ-centered sermon. We spent three weeks in it. He preached it in the Jewish synagogue of Antioch, Pisidia. He proclaimed the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus. As his sermon ended, verse 38, Paul proclaimed the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus, saying in verse 39, by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Right there, Paul set believing on Jesus Christ over against performing in the works of the law. He is saying no justification before God is possible 
by performing in the law of Moses. Performing the works of the law will never free you from condemnation. It will never free your conscience from the guilt of sin. It will never free you from spiritual death. It will never free you from Satan's dominion. Only believing on Jesus Christ will free you. Faith alone, Paul has taught, in Christ alone, does all the heavy lifting to reconcile the sinner to God. So Paul proclaims this, and he brings delight to those who have ears to hear it. Verse 42 says that when this synagogue meeting broke up, many of the Jews wanted to hear more. So did many of the Gentile converts to Judaism who were present at the synagogue that day. They all wanted Paul to come back next Sabbath. But one week later, on the next Sabbath, things got ugly. The dog was in the manger. Most of the Jews in Antioch, Pisidia, suddenly turn against Paul. They end up doing everything they could, short of violence, to drive Paul and Barnabas out of the district. Why? Why such a turnaround? The answer is in verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. The crowds, of course, are the Gentiles. The same people described in verse 44, which says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, you have to keep in mind that this city, Antioch, Pisidia, is a Gentile city. It's named after Antiochus. It is not a Jewish city. There is a small population of Jews there, perhaps one, maybe two synagogues, because of the diaspora, but the Jews do not control this city in any way. They do not have priority nor power in the city. Whatever power they do have, they must purchase. Payoffs, bribes, backroom deals. But now, suddenly, on the Sabbath day, here comes a whole city of Gentiles, crowds of Gentiles from different economic classes, different social groups, different merchant guilds, a whole crowd of Gentiles, and they have all gathered near the synagogue to hear Paul. No. Luke tells us they have gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Paul is the messenger. He is not the message. Paul's shocking message a week earlier about the forgiveness of sins has captured the attention of a city. Beloved, have you ever wondered why we sometimes make such little progress in capturing people's attention with the Christian message? Sometimes it is certainly the will of God that we capture no or little attention. But sometimes the reason we capture such little attention is because we are not even declaring the Christian message. We declare law, 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 law. What does law free you from? Hasn't Paul answered in verse 39? The law will free no man from condemnation. Maybe the reason we sometimes are not capturing people's attention 
whether it's a child in our house, a neighbor in our neighborhood, or even a city, is because we have stopped declaring the message of verse 38 and 39. We have stopped declaring the forgiveness of sins. Well, here comes a whole city. And the word crowd is in the plural here, which is quite interesting. It's not just a crowd of Gentiles. It's crowds of Gentiles, meaning there's identifiable groups who are in crowds themselves moving as a throng to the synagogue. Because Paul's shocking message that sins are being forgiven by the creator of heaven and earth, by the Holy One, by the Lord God. But the Jews are filled with jealousy. Now, there are several things we can say about this jealousy, but let's just say the most important thing about it. The Jews were jealous because something other than the word of the Lord was their chief desire. And what we should understand by that phrase, the word of the Lord, which appears several times in our passage, is the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, the word of the Lord is indeed synonymous with the written scriptures. But the emphasis here is upon the message of salvation that is hidden and found and now revealed in all the Old Testament scriptures, which Paul has just opened up to them in his previous Sabbath preaching. The Jews are jealous because something other than the word of the Lord was their chief desire. If the word of the Lord was their chief desire, they would not have been filled with jealousy because they would have had what they desired. The word of the Lord had come to their city in the ministry of Paul. A true prophet of the risen Lord Jesus Christ had brought the word of the Lord to them. But the Jews still did not have what they most desired. That is why they were filled with jealousy. Someone else had what they most desired, or at least they thought somebody else had it. And what was it? Power, influence, attractional machismo. They thought Paul had what they wanted. You see, they wanted to be movers and shakers among the Gentiles. And this becomes very evident in verse 50. When Paul is about to part ways with them, they are working deals in back rooms or in corners under trees with the top women and the top men of Gentile society. Do you see that in verse 50? They have a network that they have greased the palm for years because they like the privilege and protection of the leading people of Antioch, Pisidia. So seeing the crowds come out to hear Paul, they see Paul succeeding in what they wanted to succeed in, the respect of the Gentiles. And Paul's doing it without a quarter, without a nickel, without a dime. But they misunderstood Paul because they are ascribing to Paul their own evil ambitions. That's why they're jealous of him. Paul didn't want what they wanted. Paul wasn't there to control and to manipulate and to take 
the Gentiles captive. Paul was there to give freely, to proclaim freely eternal life. Now, beloved, this is where we must be quite careful ourselves. This same Apostle Paul makes it clear in Romans 11 that we who have been engrafted into the tree of the covenant of grace can end up just in the same place the Jews are at in our text. Paul says, be careful, you Gentiles, that pride and arrogance doesn't overtake you. For if it does, the Lord will treat you as severely as he has treated his own people. So we must be quite careful ourselves as believers in Christ. We must guard our hearts against all kinds of social and political jealousy. When we see unbelievers ruling the kingdoms of men, we can become jealous. We begin to think that they have what we should have. After all, are we not the people of eternity? Why shouldn't we be the people of time? Power in this present age, we get jealous for it. We see unbelievers advancing, getting promoted, getting rich, and we begin to think we should have that. Prosperity and ease. And then we become jealous. Did you know there's an entire psalm about this great temptation of jealousy? when we look upon the advancement of the unbelieving world? Psalm 73, let me read to you just the opening verses of it. And if you are having your conscience pricked this morning, this is the Lord's gift to you for later reading today in prayer. A Psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Even members of the covenant community are drawn away when they see the wicked prospering so much and they are tempted to be jealous of it. When we become jealous of men, the word of the Lord becomes no interest to us. But our scripture today is saying, you have the word of the Lord. You believers have the word of the Lord. You have the word of salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world doesn't have it. Where is the world this morning? They are not hungering and desiring to hear the word of the Lord. They are sheltered in a box, staring at a screen. But you have the word of the Lord. You hear it, and it sets you to rejoicing. You hear it, and it brings you to glorify your possession of it. 
You have the word of salvation in the gospel of the Son. You have the word of peace in the blood of the Son. You have the word of hope in the resurrection of the Son. The world of jealous men does not have ears for such things. That's why the Jews of Antioch Pisidia did not have ears for such things. Because that is not what they desired. So when it was right in their city, they did not want it. And they only considered themselves impoverished. Do not be jealous of men's deafness and coldness to the word, even if they are rich and powerful in the earth. They are of all men most miserable. The earth is going to pass away, right? The word of the Lord stands forever. Your treasure will never pass away. So what happens next? Well, the Jews began contradicting Paul. Anti-lego is the Greek. They speak against everything he's saying. They try to tear down what has gathered such crowds. And it says at the end of verse 45, they are blaspheming. Your translation might have reviled. They are speaking impious things against the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul, instead of resorting to violence, like he once would have done, faced with opposition, Paul now simply proclaims the purposes of God. We have to look at verse 46 and 47 now. And there's something you should know about these two verses. In verses 46 and 47, Paul is going to say three things, and they all are part of his strategy to provoke the Jews to the right kind of jealousy. You see, they're jealous about the wrong thing. They're jealous that the Gentiles are interested in Paul, whereas Paul is not even caring about that, of course. He's thinking they're interested in the Lord, and he's right. But Paul has a strategy, and he lays it out vividly in Romans eleven fourteen. He says one of his chief ministries to his fellow Jews, as long as he is alive, is to make them jealous of the right things, to make them jealous of the word of salvation, the word that says guilt no more, the word that says heaven belongs to you, the word that says the blood of Christ has put you at peace with God. He says it explicitly in Romans eleven fourteen. My goal is to make them jealous so perhaps some of them will be saved. So what he says in these two verses now, 46 and 47, are the provocation strategy to make them jealous for the right thing. Look at the three things he says to the Jews. Number one, Paul tells them he came first to their synagogue with his message instead of going first to the Gentiles of their city. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Why was it necessary? It was necessary because Christ had commanded it. In Luke 24, 47, after his resurrection, our Lord gathered his 12 disciples and he said, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all nations. And then he immediately added, after the comma, beginning from Jerusalem, which means 
beginning with the Jews. This is why Paul would later write these words in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is declaring to the Jews of Antioch, Pisidia, that it was their privilege to hear the word of the Lord first. Peter makes the same point to the Jews in Jerusalem back in Acts 3, verse 26. Peter said, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You see, it was always God's plan. Always God's plan to begin the new creation with the Jews. Insofar as they believe the word of the Lord, the message of salvation. This is why Jesus told the Samaritan woman, salvation is from the Jews. From the Jews, the light of the glory of God was to shine forth and be carried forth over the whole earth. But the Jews retreated into a proud ethnic huddle, and they disobeyed the Lord because what they wanted was to be like the nations around them. It's the whole story of the Old Testament. So Paul's point in stating it was necessary to speak to them first is to provoke them to jealousy, to provoke them by reminding them of the greatness of the privilege which they are about to reject that they were first. What is the second thing he says to them? Well, he then tells them that what they are doing in thrusting aside the word of God is a kind of severe judgment, but not a severe judgment from Paul, not yet a severe judgment from the Lord, a severe judgment from themselves against themselves. Look what he says. In thrusting aside the word of the Lord, you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Now, in one sense, all men are unworthy of eternal life. This is why we need a Savior. This is why we need Christ to be crucified in our place. He had to become a curse for us because the sum total of all our righteousness Even if we could live 20 lives, the sum total of all our own righteousness still leaves us under the curse of sin. Our debts must be canceled at the cross. No man can work off his debts with God. They must be forgiven, every one of them. So in that sense, we are all unworthy. But Paul's point is different in verse 46. He tells the Jews that their rejection of Christ as Savior is them making a judgment about themselves. Their judgment is that they are not worthy to partake of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. So here is Paul's point. On the last day, when Christ shuts them out of eternal life, they must remember they themselves had previously made that same judgment about themselves. Eternal death and eternal punishment will be a trophy of the priority of their own will. Unbelievers go to hell not because God refused to appoint them to eternal life. 
They go because of their own sinful and willful judgments against God's salvation in Christ. So again, Paul is making them jealous by saying, you yourselves have already judged yourselves worthy of condemnation. You will stand up on the day of your final judgment and be the second witness because of what you've done here in rejecting the word of the Lord. Now, number three, Paul says to the Jews, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. And then he quotes a portion of Isaiah 49.6. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now this is Paul's most shiny, most glorious, most bright provocation. If you go to Isaiah 49 and read verses 1 through 6, you find that the Lord is speaking both to Israel as a covenant people and to Christ, his son, his servant son. And here, the Apostle Paul is saying, you Jews who style yourselves as those who keep the commandments, if you were keeping the commandments, if you were really good Jews, you would join us in keeping the command to go to the nations with this great Savior's name. He is provoking them to jealousy that they who have always patted themselves on the back, that's what bar mitzvah means, son of the commandment, always patting themselves on the back for their commandment keeping. Paul says, we are the true Israel. We walk in the steps of the true servant son. We are keeping the command and taking this gospel to the corners of the earth. Now that little section that Paul quotes is clearly about the non-Jewish nations. But there is something interesting in verse 6 if we go to Isaiah 49. The whole verse is an honor, an honor being bestowed upon the divine servant son. Hear all of verse 6 now. Isaiah 49. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The three stages of the advance of the gospel are recorded in Isaiah 49.6. First, raise up the tribes of Jacob. The Lord Jesus did that in gathering the 12 apostles. Then bring back the preserved of Israel. That is, go out to the diaspora Jews in all the synagogues in Asia Minor and proclaim Christ to them. Paul's doing that right here in Antioch, Pisidia. And lastly, go to the nations. Go to the end of the earth. The Jews were always and first to be called to the Savior. But the Jews in Antioch, Pisidia, the majority of them, and certainly the leadership of the synagogue, are rejecting their very commission given to them in Isaiah 49. And Paul is saying, if you were true Jews, 
you would want to go with us to the nations. They don't want to go. <clears throat> so those words were first spoken to the nation Israel. We see that in Isaiah 49.3, and then spoken to Christ, but now they are spoken in Antioch, Pisidia. Paul is saying that his ministry is nothing less and nothing more than the ministry of Jesus Christ. And this is why, that, this is why Paul carries the word of the Lord into Antioch. That expression is found 260 times in the Old Testament to describe the word of the Lord coming to a prophet of God. It's a word that doesn't come from the heart of a man. It doesn't come from the brain of a man. It doesn't come from the philosophy books. It comes from heaven. And the Lord gives it to his true prophets who then deliver it to his people. Paul is the prophet of the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Now we have one last turn in our text to look at. The wonderful thing that takes place here in Antioch, Pisidia, in the midst of this ugly second Sabbath, is stated in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, heard what? Heard the word of the Lord. Heard the citation from the Old Testament scriptures. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The Gentiles heard something completely different than what the Jews were hearing. The Jews heard something and saw something that only made them filled with jealousy. The Gentiles hear and they begin rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. What did they hear? Well, Paul tells us at the very, or Luke tells us, excuse me, at the very end of our passage, verse 52, that they heard from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave them ears to hear, and they recognized that what they were hearing was the true and living God telling them that their sins are forgiven and that they belong to the eternal life of the risen Christ. That's what they heard. And they didn't even probably know where Paul was quoting from in Isaiah, but they heard in those words that salvation belonged to them because the Spirit of God made them hear. And immediately they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Beloved, do you rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord? Search your heart. I have met more than one Christian who is not happy to be a Christian. Now, they have never said that in a sentence, just like these Jews would never have said, oh, yeah, we're filled with jealousy right now. Nobody has ever said, I'm not happy being a Christian. But you just know that they're not happy. They're not happy that they don't have the life they see the wicked have. 
And you know what that means? That means a jealousy not different than that which you see here from the Jews. A jealousy from the flesh has got its foot in their door. And they are jealous that they don't have the quality of life that the wicked have. And their joy has reduced to a peep, and they cannot seem to talk about the word of the Lord. And by that, remember, we mean the message of salvation. They may have memorized a hundred Bible verses, but they cannot talk about Jesus and what he has done for them as a savior. Because their heart has been filling up with some jealousy. This little passage before us this morning is a reminder to us that when the Holy Spirit comes and opens our ears and opens our eyes and clears our vision, we see that we have the word of the Lord, which is the promise of salvation, the promise that heaven belongs to us, the promise that all our guilt for all our sins has been satisfied, the promise that we have every providence in our life, every trial, every difficulty, every conflict, the promise that every one of those is ruled by the risen Christ for our good and salvation. We are to be a people like these people. These are our people, believers, rejoicing and glorying in the word of the Lord. Take it by faith. If you cannot rejoice and glory in the word of the Lord, it's because your life is filled with a kind of jealousy. And there's another kind that I didn't mention. The other kind is the jealousy that says, I want a Christianity all my own. I want my own version of Christianity, and I want somebody to affirm it. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't know that kind of jealousy. Well, let me be a small assistance, just in case. If you think this way, you have this jealousy. If you say, I want to live the kind of life I want to live, and I don't want to hear that the life I am living is not the life I should be living. I don't want to hear from a, a preacher or from the Bible anything that tells me that I'm not thinking the way a Christian should think, that I'm not believing the way a Christian should believe, that I'm not behaving the way a Christian should behave. I don't want to hear any of that. Leave me alone. I am jealous for a kind of Christianity that affirms me in the half-Christianity that I'm living. No wonder you don't want to hear the word of the Lord. You fear the word of the Lord instead of rejoice in it. Rejoice in it. The word of the Lord covers your sins and straightens your way. Because, beloved, the word of the Lord brings you into the eternal life of the risen Christ. Your earthly life must give way to the eternal life of Jesus Christ. 
And it doesn't give way simply on the day your heart stops beating. It gives way on the day your heart starts believing. When you first believe the gospel, your earthly life begins to give way, begins to fall away, and you begin living the eternal life of the risen Christ. A new obedience, a new behavior, a new thinking, new convictions, a new walk takes root in your life. Why? Because the eternal life that is being proclaimed in the word of the Lord has indeed swallowed you. That's why they're rejoicing. That's why they're glorying. Because of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, the last verse of our passage reads, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We are to remember what we read earlier at the top of the passage. And the Jews were filled with jealousy. Jealousy drives out joy. Joy in the Lord drives out jealousy. If you have lost the joy of the Lord, it's because the word of the Lord has no longer become your chief desire. You look around your earthly life and you think of all the things that you don't have. And somebody says, well, here's the word of the Lord. And you say, yeah, I know, but and you keep looking because it's not what you most desire. Beloved, ask the Lord Jesus. You cannot conjure this joy. You must ask him to renew you and restore you in that very eternal life that he has given to you so freely by faith in him. Pray with me. Father, we are always challenged when we keep meeting these new believers. We are always challenged by reading about their joy, their rejoicing, their glorying in the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for we would rather be challenged than be at rest in the jealousy that fills the unbeliever. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. I ask that you would give to them the same joy that your spirit has given to these new believers in Antioch, Pisidia. Lord, I pray that you would clear their vision and let them see that they have the most wonderful thing that the soul can desire. They have the word of the Lord. They hear it and believe it, and you will perform it. You never speak not to perform. Lord, give them clear vision by faith through your Holy Spirit that their search for the most desirable thing is over. In believing upon Christ, they have what they most desire. And your word will be proven true as it has been proven true. We will be openly acknowledged and acquitted on that day. And we will see our justification. 
Lord, we pray that we as a people would not stray from this great treasure, the word of the Lord, that we would speak of it, glory in it, rest in it, continue to gaze upon it, to contemplate it, to meditate on it, to study it, to rest in it, Lord, especially today. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.